Hey everybody, I am Clark Coffee, and with me here is Cullen McFader, and this is Soldiers of Cinema, a podcast where we uh, explore the works and philosophy of legendary filmmaker Werner Herzog. What's up, Cullen? Not much. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be back. It's a lot of fun. I'm glad you're happy because, man, it would be weird if we were doing this and you were like really unhappy to be here. Like you were really no mad. Interest. And you're like, I don't even know why am I here. This sucks. I hate this. I got a big gallon of whiskey beside me. I, mean, I just got to get through it. Well, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe one of these days we can do an episode that's got like a drinking game in it and we can, yeah, you know. That'll be our like... watching, uh, our watchable commentaries. <laughs> yeah. Actually, hey, there you go. One of the, we'll do like some commentaries when we finally get through the masterclass lessons and we get into uh, Herzog's films. Uh, yeah. Maybe mm -hmm. we can make a drinking game out of it uh, at some point. All right. But anyway, well, I'm glad you're happy to be here. I'm happy to be here too. And for those of you listening, I hope that you're happy as well. I hope it's all just one big love fest. So, on today's episode, so last episode, we, we went through and discussed lessons one and two in Herzog's Masterclass, and this this uh, episode here, we're going to go through lessons three and possibly four. We're going to have to see how much time it takes to get through lesson three, but that's where we're going to start today. So we'll just dive right in. So at lesson three, Herzog comes right out of the gate with read, 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 read. Do you like reading, Cullen? Can you read? Do you? Do I you mean, agree? sometimes I question that. Sometimes <laughs> I. <laughs> I know many people who say no. Um, no, I I, uh, I I do enjoy reading. I actually, weirdly enough, though, I read probably more nonfiction than I do read fiction. Yeah, we fiction. talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I find that that's kind of what draws my my mind, and which is odd because you know when it comes to film, I. I much prefer to create in a fictional setting as opposed to, you know, I love doing documentary, but, but my, but you prefer my narratives. heart certainly lies in narrative, yeah. Well, I mean, so so definitely in listening to Herzog, I, I think he makes it pretty clear that, you know, in his opinion, reading is vital yes. to yeah. to becoming the best filmmaker that you can be. Uh, and 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 I think uh, Herzog, uh, when he talks about reading, he talks about reading some pretty, you know, in his words, high caliber stuff. And uh, he has a couple exam examples that he mentions in uh, in the lesson, the Poetic Edda, which I do have to admit I have not yet read. And then he mentions the Peregrine, which I have read and can speak to in a few minutes. But I mean, do, so let's just start off with that that basic first premise. I mean, do you agree with Herzog? Do you think that reading is vital uh, to being a good filmmaker? What are your thoughts oh, on yeah, that? Yeah, I, I do. I do think that there is something stimulating about, you know, um, while novels and literature aren't necessarily inherently visual mediums, um, I would say most people that read visualize when they read. And I think that's ever the more important as somebody who works in a visual medium like film, um, being able to visualize and being able to, you know, even come up with specific shots on, you know, that's what I find when I read sometimes I'm like, how would I shoot this? Like, how would, you know, what would, what would the, uh, what would the shot look like for this, this instance or this idea? How can you capture that yeah. um, in a visual medium? And, and so I think that just that, that exercise of allowing your brain to come up with, um, visuals, um, that are stimulated by, um, you know, either somebody else's work or, uh, even if it's something that's a thousand years old, um, you know, that I think is, is inherently, inherently helpful and valuable to anybody who wants to 
be a director or even you know be a screenwriter or a cinematographer i think that it, it all kind of plays into it and i think that yeah reading yeah. is kind of like exercise for for the brain i find for sure i think I'd, i would even go a little bit further i think you're, you're kind of talking about it in a bit of a practical sense right where it's you know exercising your imagination and, and visualizing you know how to tell stories visual manner you know i would i would go further and say i mean Boy, and how to articulate this? I mean, I think reading is just, it, it does so many things for you. And, uh, you know, especially, you know, Herzog's examples are, uh, one of his examples, I think, is only maybe 50, 60 years old or so. It's not that old, the Peregrine. And then yes, the Poetic yeah. Edda is, is much older. And I'm not sure how, how much older, but I think it's maybe a couple thousand years old eh, and probably off by several hundred years, but it's older. But, you know, um, sometimes it might be a little bit harder to pick up some of these older uh, writings. But, you know, I think, you know, often there's a reason why they've stood the test of time. It's because they're pretty substantial works. But I think it's also, uh, it's worthwhile kind of, you know, we talked last uh, episode about watching films from different eras and from different geographies, from different people. And I think that's that applies with reading as well you know mm -hmm. to if you love comic books that's great but you know uh, maybe expand your reading vocabulary and break out some of the classics but yeah i mean i think reading I mean, to very... me it's always about challenging too right sure it's um, challenging, and i think it's right? interesting that you mentioned something like graphic novels or comic books or even you know audiobooks um audiobooks have blown up in the past yeah. few years but i always find that you know that even then is more of a passive experience you're being read a story um, whereas even if you don't love sitting down and reading a book, um, a lot of the time that's, it, it is again, like I kind of said earlier, it's like, it's like working out. It's, it's like, you know, you're sitting there to, uh, work out the muscles that you might not always work out. Well, <laughs> and, and, um, and I think in a couple different ways, so that's a great point. And I'll add to that by saying that, you know, some of the muscles that you're working out, uh, I think in a practical sense, uh, your attention span. And I think mm -hmm. in today's yeah. day and age with the internet and, you know, 140 characters or a quick Wikipedia page read or, you know, a quick five-minute article uh, on whatever your favorite site is, you know, everything is chopped into such small bite-sized pieces today and i think if you if you do not get yourself uh inside a book on a regular basis your attention span will start to shrink and i've noticed that in myself mm -hmm. uh and it's scary i was like oh my gosh what's going on here it's and, like and I, can't, even, I can't focus for more than a couple pages holy crap you know and, and be, even beyond traditional literature too um i think that like even reading documents whether it's historical documents like i would consider the poetic edda almost more of a a historical document than um of course it's it's an artistic you know yeah uh poetry kind of uh Right. I almost said the word extravaganza, but even something like <laughs> well, I, I read, um, like I remember a few years ago, I just sat down one day and read the entire FBI file on the Zodiac killer, <laughs> like right. end to end. It was well, like 300 pages and I just went through Herzog, the whole thing. Doesn't Herzog bring up, like, does, I think he requests, like, or not requests, but I mean, he suggests you should read the, the Warren Commission report, right? Yeah. On the yeah. assassination of JFK. I think that's in the assignment. 
uh, yes. PDF yes. that yeah. goes along with this class. But so, so there you go. And we can kind of talk about, I don't know exactly what Herzog had in mind as to why you should read it, but, you know, especially when he talks about how, uh, you know, f- facts don't make truth, but then he goes and assigns this reading of what is for the most part, just an aggregation of facts that hmm. Warren report, but, uh, it's interesting, but, um, but yeah, so attention span, but then I was also going to say, and probably more important, although obviously having an attention span is, is, is important to be able to hold long, complex stories in your mind and imagination, but, um, your empathetic muscle is what I think is the ultimate, uh, muscle that reading exercises. And certainly of course, film and, uh, music and other art mediums can, can activate your empathetic muscles. But I think that reading good literature is a unique combination of, you know, of challenge, imagination, and, you know, really, really working that empath- those empathetic muscles over a long period of time, you know, where a, yes, film, yeah. a story in a film may be an hour and a half, two hours, you know, a television show might be 45 minutes to an hour, you know, a, a song may be five, seven minutes. I mean, you know, holding this long, complex narrative in your imagination and really empathizing in nuanced, complex ways with these characters and situations and worlds that you may never experience in your regular life. I mean, uh, over over hours and hours and hours, you know, uh, I, I think what that can do for you as an artist and just as a human being, it can't be replaced by mm-hmm. by anything else. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess we both agree. It sounds like we both agree, and I don't know for everybody out there, I'd be interested, you know, how much how much reading you do as a filmmaker, and yeah. is it is it something that you really carve out time for and do it conscientiously i know or do you disagree that maybe they maybe some people think that it's not that's not necessary, yeah. right it I might mean, be so yeah if yeah. we get, we'll get some people shoot us some emails and let us know but um i mean it's interesting to see you know as herzog describes his experience being able to hold some of the it sounds like some original manuscript on parchment of the poetic edit in his hands mm-hmm. um and what kind of gravitas that kind of held for him is very interesting i think it just illustrates how you know the significance of the of being close to this i don't even i mean how would you even describe it it's I, almost, like, I almost take it as for him it's like it's like being able to touch another world of yeah, artists from yes. 1100 years ago right absolutely of, of of like realizing this this human connection on a very basis of just creation and and um you know creation of art and creation of of you know, what's funny to me about a lot of classical art, you know, not not contemporary, and I mean, you know, dating back thousands of years, is that there has always been this sale of ideas, and maybe even if it's not for specifically, you know, literal money, there's this sale of you have people consuming something that somebody else has created just from their brain, mm-hmm. and um, I think if anything, I think that might be least my take on on where herzog kind of really connects with these um like these old documents is the fact that he he's there now you know he's he's doing that now we're all doing that now we're kind of living out this this age-old tradition of of civilization um, yeah 
Well, and I think it's interesting too. His uh, cave of forgotten dreams, I think, mm-hmm. is uh, it, it, it kind of shares or kind of illustrates maybe. Uh, it's a really beautiful just, movie as well. well. It's a very beautiful movie and yeah. illustrates kind of that you know Herzog's desire to kind of reach through the ages. Yes, and yeah. and 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 touch these ancient civilizations, like you kind of said. Yeah, it's very interesting, and there is a very profound. You know, a sense to that. If you've ever, you know, been to an ancient, uh, you know, some kind of ancient uh, place in the world, you know, yeah. it's like we went to. Uh, my wife and I visited Skellig Michael off off of uh, coast in Ireland, and it's one of the most ancient, still standing. Um, I don't know what you would call it. There's like these stone huts. There was like a group of monks lived on this tiny island. And and it's one of the oldest known, you know, man-made structures still left in the world. And it's like older than the pyramids. And there there really definitely is a a powerful, powerful sense that you and get I, being there. I, I can even remember um, when I was in Rome, there is a church, a church that I think was built in the 15th century, that was built on top of a pagan church that was built probably in the 300s that was then built on top of like a nomadic uh, village. And so when you enter this church in Rome, you go down these steps, probably you're probably, you know, 200 feet underground at this point at the bottom. And you're walking through these caves where these nomads used to live back, you know, thousands of years ago. And you see these drawings on the wall and things like that. And I think one of the, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Cave of Forgotten Dreams because I think one of the really interesting parts um, where Herzog, uh, in his narration of that movie is where he he says you know perhaps the people who painted these walls would have been filmmakers today yeah would have been you know th- you know it's it's there's such a through line of of artistry um, yeah it's just and and it's it's just i think it's it's one of the just this 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 thread throughout all of human history of mm-hmm. our need for story um it's just yeah i think it's there's very fundamental connective thread uh, that kind of runs through all of humanity across culture, across geography, and across time. So, and that's that's really powerful. It's almost kind of, sort of trying to glimpse and touch like a little piece of like pure distilled humanity, you know. So, I, I particularly kind of enjoyed his description of that uh, in the lesson, um, and I think it's um, you know you can do a little bit of that. You can replicate that a, a little bit of that by reading really good literature, literature mm-hmm. that's stood the test of time. And you don't have to go necessarily, you know, halfway across the world or to the North Pole or to Rome, although these things are wonderful and you should travel as much as possible. But yeah, I mean, you know, grab yourself a book at the library or, uh, you know, buy one at the store or download a file to your Kindle or whatever you like to do. But um but yeah, uh, it's it's pretty extraordinary the power of story, and that's yeah. probably why all of us are here because we all agree. Um, so let's uh, move into then a little bit of it's funny. So Herzog kind of makes a bit of a little you know little transition here at this point. He talks starts talking about editing, and. Um, talks about uh, how um, you can learn from reading literature a little bit about what good editing is. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, you know, Herzog's example, the kind of example that he gives in um, the lesson is about, you know, when you see someone walking into a room or walking upstairs, you don't have to show all the busy work. You can, you know, cut from somebody entering a home to their bedroom and 
you fill in the blanks. And I think the relation there, at least to me, is in the idea that, you know, when you're reading a, a book, you are reading between the lines of, uh, of, of the, what the author is telling you. You're, you know, if there is an infer there's inference, um, and it's very similar in editing where it's, you're not showing every single literal step of the way of this story. There is inference of, even if it's as simple as you see someone getting into a car and then you see them getting out of a car elsewhere, you've inferred that they are driving or have driven to that location. And I think that there's kind of this, um, you know, if anything, there there is almost a subconscious uh, begging of the audience to use their imagination to infer. And there's <laughs> much bigger examples of that. Of course, there's there's movies that their entire stories are based on inference and based on, around you know interpretation, and yeah. the answers aren't given um, nearly as clearly as other films. But um, yeah, and, and I think you know, but go, it's interesting. It film it's, film. Of course, there's. Yeah, it goes film to film, and certainly from piece of literature to piece of literature. I mean, here mm -hmm. he kind of, you know, he's jumping off from discussing the poetic Edda, which is, you know, a, a very condensed type of storytelling. It's, you know, uh, if you've taken a look at it, I mean, it's 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 a poem basically mm -hmm. in effect, and its form is very symbolic and it very condensed, and so he's kind of, you know, drawing this analogy of. Uh, of editing a film in that manner that films should be story condensed yes um, yeah and uh, obviously there's like a lot of literature that's very expanded you know that's not condensed but just in specifically you know he had just come off of talking about the poetic edda and yeah i think you know in general so i've not read the poetic edda i'm gonna but i haven't mm -hmm. yeah. but in po but i have read a lot of poetry and you know i think good poetry is you you could say you could define great poetry by kind of saying that it's story condensed right each word is so is so chosen, you know, so perfectly chosen in place that there's so much meaning and story behind, you know, even just a line of a few words. Uh, I mm -hmm. think that, you know, I, so well, I, mean, I look at haikus, right? Like haikus yeah, are, are literally five, seven, Very five, and, it, and yeah. it's, 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 um, what is a haiku? How many, is it like three, so five, it's three? Five, it's, no, it's five syllables, seven syllables, and five, and, and, but isn't there it? even a shorter one? What yeah, is, there's, there's, which ah, one is the short, like three, um, five, three or something or five, yeah, three, there's, five. there's really, there's a lot of, and a lot of like Irish ones yeah. are, are similar too. Um, but, but you look at that and you go like, geez, there's, but you can, you can evoke so much out yes. of something like that, you know, you really can. And that's and what I mean when I say it's, it's about inference. Yeah. It's about the audience or the reader yeah. being able to infer from those lines and to be able to visualize or, or yeah. use their imagination beyond. So, I, so, yeah, I guess I would say, you know, not just reading is important. I would make even more explicit Herzog's call here that, yes, reading is vital, but, you know, reading really good poetry, I think, is could be extremely helpful. And that's probably something that a lot of filmmakers might not think about immediately. You know, you spend a lot of time studying, uh, you know, technical aspects of filmmaking, how to use the camera, how to set up shots, how to light things, you know, mm -hmm. even how to work with an actor or, you know, all these different things. Um and you may not read a lot of poetry, but I really would strongly suggest to grab uh, some good poetry. And good is subjective, but I mean, try to find some things that speak to you. But good poetry, I think one of its one of its many characteristics is that it is really compressed, efficient storytelling, which is vital, I think, for 
uh, any good film. Um, and I think and, you can learn a lot about. I think what's other, otherwise interesting about about books too, and and to to kind of almost not be like really heady and and you know grand about this is you know you must do this to be a good filmmaker right right they're great resources to just get ideas from <laughs> like Absolutely. just to, even, even on the most basic level just yeah. to read a book and, and rip great an idea point. out of you know that's oh there's this line about this this person here that that could actually make an entire movie and i've had experiences like Absolutely. that where i've read something and gone geez, that, that would honestly be a really interesting story on its own, just from, you know, a line or a paragraph of a book. That's a really good point. You know, we hadn't even talked about that, but absolutely. I mean, you've got to fill the well in order to mm-hmm. draw from it. And, you know, I mean, look, it's a, it, garbage in, garbage out. I think we talked about that last time, too. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, fill yourself up with as good a stuff as you can. I mean, you know, literature and poetry, stories that have stood the test of eons, you know, I mean, there's, you know, it's if you spend your time filling yourself up with that stuff, it's likely that you're going to have better quality stories come out of you than if you spend all of your time watching reality television. I mean, I'll go mm-hmm. out on a limb and make a really controversial statement here, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, whoa, whoa, um, whoa. Reality, not that, not that there's TVs. not maybe a place for reality well, TV. I mean, I, loves I, I, well, we can, we can talk. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, he even talks about <laughs> pornography and how that kind of he uses that as an analogy. We could talk about that later about how it's a it's visceral and physical and real and how that's missing in modern film um i don't think he intended to be promoting pornography (laughs) you know but he he was making an analogy but we can we could talk about that at another point but um but yeah uh so there's a place but i think yeah it is important uh to to fill yourself up and you will find some i think some great ideas and it's just one something that could have been just a small tangent of Mm -hmm. uh of something that you read a line in a poem or a certain something a character does or a certain you know something that was just a small part of what you were reading could just expand like a fractal into a whole new idea for you and send you off you know really inspiring you so absolutely so there you go read 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 Um, read 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 read. (laughs) i'm not even going to try to do my my herzog uh impersonation here uh maybe someday maybe someday we could work up to that but Mm -hmm. uh uh people are probably expecting it they're like come on how can you have a herzog podcast and not do the herzog voice well maybe that's just part of you know we have to keep some mystery we have to keep you coming back for more so maybe Mm -hmm. we'll do that at another time but um but let's also let's talk a little bit too about you know so the peregrine is a book that i did read and you did read we -hmm. read it when we took the class now it's been a bit but um I mean, Herzog really, really hammers on this one. You know, he talks about like, I mean, look, <laughs> he's like, if you want, if you want to be a good filmmaker, read the Peregrine. You have to read the Peregrine. It's hysterical. And I remember when, you know, you and I were some of the first people that that took this Hurt class, and Herzog's masterclass was one of. I think the first couple classes, right? Yeah, there were like four there, at the time. There were like four. And, and a matter mm-hmm. of fact, one of them is no longer even available unless yeah. you purchased it when it was out. The Kevin Spacey mm-hmm. Masterclass, which, of course, you can no longer find. And we all know why, um, which is interesting. That's a whole other uh, interesting conversation. But um, but yeah, it was one of the first lessons. Uh, Masterclass was a very young um, company. And uh, I remember 
like going on to Amazon to buy the Peregrine, and it was like, you know, had gone from, you know, number 51,732 in sales to like five, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because everybody like skyrocketed. was yeah. skyrocketed because so many people were buying it. But, you know, uh, I'm curious. I mean, what do you think it is about the Peregrine that Herzog finds so important like what do you think is motivating him so strongly to share that in your opinion and what were your thoughts on it having read it I mean I think in a conversation we've had before you you kind of put it really well which is that it is about the the writer becoming the subject rather than judging the subject and I think that that you know kind of is very is a very apt way to put it is that um, I think that it is it is you know there's so many points in that book where where it's about feeling the wind through the you know through your entire being and the reverberations of of you know speed through your 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 essence and things like that it's so evocative the language of of yeah. how you you feel like you feel like a peregrine when it's you're really reading it. beautiful yeah um, it really is a beautiful book um, and uh but no I, I think that that's really and and even in the the idea that herzog kind of mentions this idea of judgment and and getting rid of judgment when you're presenting a such uh, subject be it yeah. in documentary or be it in fiction work and become that uh subject even if the audience doesn't even if you show up film where you were totally in on this main character or whatever and the audience doesn't connect to them your movie is likely going to be better off for it because you are going to have a a point of view when you tell that story as opposed to just being observational well you know be the hornet that stings that's the that's the uh his classic quote right well there's so many yeah there's so many different points i mean i would just say just purely you know if if anybody listening out there hasn't read the peregrine you're thinking about it you know maybe you've you either have or have not watched herzog's masterclass and maybe you've heard of the book before maybe you haven't i will just second herzog's advice or suggestion and uh and yes i i you should read it for if for no other reason than it really really is an extraordinarily beautiful book i uh i i mean i you know when i i didn't i was like i had no idea what this book was i'd never heard of it i had no preconceived notion i'm like okay it's about a bird hmm okay herzog says to try it i guess i will mm-hmm. it's only a few bucks but i was frankly blown away i was extremely and it's not moved. that long either. No, it's, it's not um, that long. It's not yeah. that long. It's maybe a couple hundred pages, just, you know, a couple afternoons. You can read it pretty quickly. But um, I was really surprised by how uh, moved I was by that book. Yes. And, and I think yeah. for me, there was a couple. I, you're right. You know, it's the the author is in such awe of the Peregrine that he is observing over time and, that he does, in a way, become the subject mm-hmm. and his and again i'll go back to using this word empathy his level of empathetic ability be, be, is so strong that he becomes this animal and you really get a sense of that in in his description of it uh, over time and it, it, it's a it's a really excellent example of a, of a handful of things that i just want to take a minute to discuss i mean so it's an extraordinary example of condensed storytelling i mean it is it is very poetically written book it's just mm-hmm. on that level it's it's amazing but it, it's also an extraordinary example of empathy from a storyteller and i remember 
you know, when I first started to get into this world of filmmaking and storytelling, it was from the perspective of an actor. I was pursuing acting. I was doing acting, studying acting. And that was, you know, one of the first things that I I learned, but it takes, you know, it takes time to really master was to never sit in judgment of your character, right? Mm -hmm. If if you're in judgment of your character, then you can't be the character. And, uh, and so I think whether you're a writer or an actor or a director, this is a really key point. I don't, you know, you really can't overemphasize this. If you are sitting in judgment of your character or of this character, if you're an actor of the character you're playing, if you're the director of the characters in your story, if it's a documentary, if you're sitting in judgment of the people that you're talking to, like you and I, when we worked on this, um, you know, some uh, that uh, documentary that we're in the middle of about mm-hmm. conspiracy theories, and we were interviewing people who had, to us, pretty far out conspiracy theories that they really believed. I mean, it's very tempting. It's very tempting to sit there in judgment of them, but you really have to work to suspend that and mm-hmm. to, to empathize with them and and kind of try to become one with them in a sense. Yeah, uh, and, and, this and, book and to is understand, you know, I think that even beyond just simply character as well, um, you know, any successful artist should understand the ins and outs entirely of the of their story, and should be able to empathize on a grander scale with that story itself, and to um, in the story that they're telling. Um, and you can really tell sometimes when a director doesn't necessarily yeah. understand the material that even sometimes they wrote themselves, or um, yeah, or even further. I mean, further right? It, it's further than understanding. It's yeah, of course, it definitely. It's it's one thing to understand, but to to own. Mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. to feel in your heart to instead of saying you know it's like again i'll kind of go back to if you're an actor and you're playing a character that does bad things right i don't know you know he's a serial killer or she's a you know whatever horrible character if you're sitting there and you're saying gosh this person is a bad person they do bad things i don't think that way i wouldn't do that well then boom right there like how are you going to inhabit this person yeah, uh, yeah and it's it's and we could really i mean we could really expand on this and you could talk about this for a long time but i i feel that it is so fundamentally vital for any artist in any medium to constantly be expanding and working and exercising your empathetic muscles because that really is the heart of what you're here to do as an artist. Yes. It's exactly. not about yeah. how you put paint on a canvas or how you chip away at the stone in a statue or how you light a scene or write a story. I really feel that when you distill it all down to its most central essence, it's about how you empathize. Um, and we could really, I mean, obviously that could be, we could really go off on that one. But I think to bring it back to the peregrine and to the lesson here, that it, that's a really great example. And it's also an, a, a good example of something else, which is <laughs> so many different topics that we're going to get to talk about in greater length as we go through this. Mm-hmm. But it's a great example of, in my opinion, now Herzog doesn't talk about this or anything, but I do feel like it is indirectly important um and i think that herzog shows this in his work as well so herzog i i personally find that none of his films are propaganda ish or even didactic right no um uh 
And The Peregrine is an extraordinary example of a film that is not propaganda. It is not even didactic. It's not telling you how to think. It's not telling you what to what to do. But actually, this book is a really extraordinary pro-conservation book. Mm-hmm. And what's what's um, and, and I think you know in line with what you're saying is it allows you to get there to that conclusion on your own through aesthetic um, awe exactly through exactly. aesthetic awe and that is so key filmmakers out there you know aspiring filmmakers out there writers out there please 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 it's you know I I, I boy how to say this I mean of course we all have our ideals and we have our you know what we feel is right and wrong in the world the things that we're passionate about but when you sit down to create a work so in this case a film and it's this is strange and it's so hard to kind of to speak directly to this but you know if you sit down and you write a script and you're like okay i want to I want to tell people that thing XYZ is bad, okay? And I'm going to craft a story around how I can express Mm -hmm. that thing XYZ is bad and we shouldn't do it or we shouldn't think it. I feel like almost inevitably that turns out crappy. I just really do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I feel like you're putting your ideals ahead of the aesthetic. And that aesthetic awe is just stripped out of your art. And, uh, and I mean, because I'll watch films where the ideals that are represented in the films are totally in line with my thoughts, even like I, I'm like, I agree. I agree. That's bad. But this is a horrible film. Yeah, Um, exactly. But this is such a great example. This book is such a great example of using aesthetic awe to bring people to an understanding of your ideals. Mm hmm. And Absolutely. I don't know if, did you feel that too from no, that book? Uh, without a doubt, yeah. yeah. I, I think that it was, um, you know, even just to, to reiterate the word empathy, is through empathy you are somehow brought on the side of yes. the author and their, yeah. their takeaway without the author explicitly having yes. to sit you down and say, this is what I believe and this is what you should believe too. Yeah, and it, it was um, just, it just, it, it kind of just like emanated, radiated it's, it's a, from it's his It's a really great life spirit. lesson. I think yeah. because because what I think that that says to a lot of people is that when you disagree with someone in in life that oftentimes a better way to reach an understanding with mm. that person isn't necessarily to you know throw facts at them or to throw statistics oh, at them for sure it is to allow them to empathize with with situations going on that that's yes. very you know that's that's super super uh relevant especially in today's climate yes um where you know rather than just yelling at people and, and throwing your <laughs> which your we have a lot them, of in yes, today's yeah. day and age boy don't we ever um you know just allow people to get to those conclusions on their own and they will often now hold those views dearer than if you had just simply told them in yeah. the first place right um, well and and i would i'll even add to that too a little bit just from my personal experience so i grew up in the Midwest. I grew up outside of St. Louis, Missouri, in the suburbs of St. Louis, um, and like pretty far out from St. Louis. So I live mm-hmm. in, you know, it's a place called St. Charles. And at the time it was, I mean, we had like a gas station and, you know, the high school that I went to was like out in the bush wildlife, like the Anheuser-Busch family had this like big preserve or whatever, reserve. And it was like, 
out in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> just so happened to be across the street from a, a super fun radioactive site, but that's <laughs> so. So I glow sometimes at night. No, but um, but uh, I, I lived out in the middle of nowhere in this small town in the Midwest, and. I lived in a, at least for, we lived closer to the city, so I, I was exposed to diversity and different peoples and things, but but when I, went, you know, for junior high on, we lived in a very homogenous place, demographically, and, and not just demographically, but religious, you know, f- like politically, religious, philosophically, a very, very homogenous, conservative place, and... I'll tell you, you know, as a younger kid watching films like like a great example I'll just point out was um, Gus Van Sant's um, My Own Private Idaho. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, watching that film and it, you know back back then it was like it's not like I picked this film, you know, because you couldn't do that back then. I was just like up at night watching movies, which I love to do. You know, my parents had gone to bed and I would creep back up into the living room and I'd put on the this big like air traffic controller headphones they had way back in you know. The, early 80s because i'm old and um and i would put like thankfully we had like hbo or whatever so i'm you know get to finally control the one tv we had in the house and and uh and watch something that i wanted to watch but you know i just had to watch what was on and i remember so specifically my own private idaho comes on and you know uh i had been taught through my you know just through my religious uh education which my parents you know uh kind of had me go through is it was something they believed in and of course they exposed me to that but I you know it was a way to expose me to different people with different lifestyles with different backgrounds and histories and in a way that wasn't painting them as some fake perfect people or some you know they were real people with problems and challenges and whatever else right it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were but but just like going through these this journey with them these stories and kind of getting to become them uh, as i watched the film had such a profound impact on expanding my my like experience with other people and other lifestyles and other religions and philosophies and beliefs and so i i just i cannot overstate how important that was for me especially when i didn't have any other like role models or examples of that in mm-hmm. my life yeah. at the time do you know what i mean yeah no it's it, it's a and it's an interesting uh, connection and so yeah i feel like but the, the peregrine although it's about a bird yes is such a great example of that and i think that's what herzog is speaking to here in his own way i'm not trying to speak for him but that's my interpretation of what he's you know talking about the the absolute vital aspect of 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 enlarging your empathetic heart as much as possible yeah um so yeah. all right. Anyway, there's my there's my story. But boy, we got off on. <laughs> but it all. Well, kind of... I mean, but I think I think you know it's even just to add on to that real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's interesting no to rush. me about that story though is is um, like I've had similar experiences that, and probably the most recent one, which to me took me a you know majorly by surprise. Um, <laughs> was because I wasn't young. It wasn't by any means the first movie I've ever seen or, or the first type of movie I'd ever seen that, that kind of approached this way. But I don't know if you saw Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. Um, 
which was 2017 or 2018. You know, I, um, I actually have not yet. And, and I'm I just, aware but I just, of it, but I haven't seen it, unfortunately. Yeah, I, for some reason, and it's like, it's literally a movie about, about you know, a, a girl in Sacramento, California, who's trying to get into college and mm-hmm. uh and so really on a base, basic level no similarities with my life <laughs> yeah um you know uh and i but i remember watching it and and for some reason i almost it was like because of those differences i was able to empathize so much with the character and so much with the movie and it 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 hit me in this really weird way as i was watching it where i was yeah, like it's Jesus, wonderful like i you know i i, I without trying to sound melodramatic like i feel this movie i, yeah, I just no, i know course. exactly what it's like yeah and it's it's you know in a it's tough because i mean it is we talk you know and i not to try to take this to a political place i don't want to do that but i but i will say that i think that so much of where we are today is a is coming from with so much division um yes yeah i think really you know this is an opportunity for us as artists to try to bring as much empathy as we can to the world um so yeah it's it's an opportunity for you fellow filmmakers out there uh that's why we're here so all right well so yeah if you can't tell we like the peregrine we agree with uh herzog (laughs) we think it's a a good read (laughs) and uh, we highly recommend you check it out and let us know what you think of it um all right so um and this so it's funny herzog who i think is actually hysterical and it really cracks me up that he claims to not have a sense of humor which of course is just yet more hilarity from herzog because and he more self-contradiction is, he is so funny yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and of course yeah herzog is, is so joke. he is so full of of contradiction which is just so awesome i love it about him but um but you know he he's hysterical he tells a story here at the end of this lesson three uh about encounters at the end of the world which is which is a great flick if you've not seen it and he's he's discussing his voiceover and he's talking about kind of finding his own voice and um and he tells this hysterical story about how he was inspired by unsolved mysteries of all yeah. things, which I just would have never guessed in a million years that that would be something that A, he would be watching, B, that he would be inspired by. But that is hysterical. And you can really hear it. You know, he, he uh, uses the specific example of that narration in, in, where the part where the poor penguin yeah, is, going, it, off towards the is going off to die into the mountains yeah. all alone. And oh my gosh, that kills me. And so, I think it's funny too, because you think of Herzog, like when he starts talking about this, this example, where he says, you know, finding your voice. And yeah. you think of like, oh, he's talking about, you know, a figurative, you know, yeah, yeah. finding your voice. But he's, he's right. no, he's literally talking about yeah, what, he's what literally was his talking. timber going to be. You're right. <laughs> it's like, and I have to admit, you know, I have not yet done a narration myself, like documentary narration. Um, and I'm yeah, a, I've done maybe one. a little scared of it. I, and... But that's what's funny is that I did one yeah. for the documentary that I've got coming out right now. Um, it's just being scored right now. But um, what's hilarious is I remember doing this documentary and doing my narration for it, and um, what what was I doing but imitating Herzog? And I remember thinking at the time oh, I was really? doing it, going, like know, consciously it, or, uh, or no, subconsciously, consciously. and not not that I was I was I wasn't doing an accent by any means, yeah, but yeah, I was yeah. sitting there and I was like I would I remember I did a first pass at the narration, and I just thought it was a 
far too quick and it was just there was no weight to the words and so then i sort of went back and did the narration in his voice with accent kind of going you know we are at the edge of the world you know finding <laughs> things like that and then i just kind of took the, the voice out and went instead to to saying like you know we're at the edge of the world and using his diction and kind of ah. the places. But I remember feeling kind of cheap about that and going, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, am, I, am I just ripping the guy off because he's, he's, you know, a master narrator. Sure. And then finding out that he had ripped off Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> kind of, <laughs> Did it make you know, you feel better? took that weight off my shoulders where I was like, oh, yeah, even the, even the greats, you know, sure, understand that nothing is wholly original. That Well, you that, can... I mean, isn't that the age old, right? Like expert steel, you know, I mean, yeah. or, or professional steel, whatever, you know, um, I, I think for sure. And, and, you know, it is interesting. We can speak a little bit, too, because I think there is uh, he does kind of speak a little bit to to that um, that metaphorical voice. Right. Your inner voice, your your opinions, your angle, your perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think he does kind of suggest that, you know, there is, and he's talked about this in other places too, which is why I can kind of, you know, you can kind of suss that out a little bit more from this very brief um, discussion, a couple, just a couple sentences here at the end of this lesson. But he talks about this uh, at greater length in other interviews and in uh, some of his books about, you know, a lot of people are so consumed and worried about finding their authentic voice. And, you know, I need to use film to to figure myself out as almost like a therapy to find, you know, who am I? I and where am I coming from? And, you know, I'm sure that you've heard a lot of this and you, maybe you've even, you know, um, come from that angle. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I have. I know that mm-hmm. I definitely have. I think Herzog kind of poo-poos that a little bit, you know, yeah. and yeah. he's like, no, you don't need to do any of that. You don't need I'm to like sit there the story. and yeah. go he's, he's, inside he's... yourself and use yeah. the film as a, a way to explore your inner child. And, you know, uh, <laughs> exactly. it's definitely not, <laughs> yeah, it's, not definitely, <laughs> it's definitely not Herzog's style. But again, though, it's interesting. And, uh, and he is certainly full of contradictions because, of course, I think he actually does do that in his films to some mm-hmm. extent. I think that... Um, I think he does, uh, but that doesn't mean that his comment doesn't hold some validity at all. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, in all of the ways that you kind of hear about how Herzog works, whether it, you know, the, the sense of urgency that he creates for himself, the fury that he works himself into when he writes, the the physicality of his shooting, the lack of storyboards, and, you know, uh, all of these type of things. I mean, I think he's constantly trying to keep himself in a zone where he is not absorbed by a looking in, right? Yes. An, an absorption yes. of, like, self-awareness or, you know, and, and I would agree. I mean, that, you know, when you're, when you're in a state of flow... And you're not thinking about yourself. I think that's when I do the best work. Whenever I'm kind of self-conscious and I'm, you know, what's my voice here and what am I trying to say? It it usually doesn't come out very well, frankly, if I'm conscious about it, right? If it's it's like a self-conscious way, I think there's no way for your authentic voice to not be there. Frankly, no, exactly. right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like everything that you do will have a personal yeah, touch on a- it. You absolutely, know? of course it will. Um, and but I think it is easy to get caught up in that. I think it, and I know I have. Boy, I definitely have. I mean, I can speak from whoo, such experience about you know, I've, oh geez, what's my authentic voice? And you know, 
Uh, I, I really have. And it's kind of one of my personal challenges mm-hmm. is to kind of drop that, let that go and just have faith and trust that whether it's in the writing process or whether it's, you know, as I write out a shot list or I'm, I'm there on set, whether I'm an actor or I'm operating camera or I'm directing, that whatever I'm doing, you just have faith that, yes, like you're you're going to come through. Um so I don't know. Has that ever been something that's challenged you and your creative process? It certainly has me. I think and I, I think it's something that I've learned to kind of not worry about, if that makes sense. Just no, to, yeah. to kind of understand that you know, whatever voice I have will likely come through. Yeah. Um, again, as I said, naturally, just just every 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 person has a fingerprint um, and an artistic fingerprint, and um, and yours is Canadian. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Just like my beer. <laughs> Just like your beer. <laughs> I love it. I See, I actually prefer the way you pronounce bean. Um, bean. Oh. But, yeah. Like, like uh, I've been. I've been oh, to like the I've store. Been to the, I've been to the store. <laughs> but you don't say bin. You say bean. I, and oh, it's, some, it's, some people do. Some people don't. There's there's a little bit of uh, yeah. of local diction here. If I said, Sure. Let me think. Like, if, I, I'm, if I'm, you know. Yeah, I, I would say I think I say Ben. I think I've said no. I've been we on can the bus. go back to the tapes. I can go back to the tape. Anyway, I've, to I've been, no, that's you're right. You're right, actually. To I've, not get I carried know. away. I was just no. making a small joke, but well, that's great though. I mean, and especially you know, not to sound like an old fart, not like your dad, but at your age, I think that's awesome. I mean, uh, I, I really do think that a lot of and we can we will touch on more and more of these things as we go through more lessons. You know, we've just covered three here, and the next one we'll do four, and we'll keep going. But I think so much of what Herzog does and I don't know if it's if it's really a conscientious kind of thing or if it's just he's intuited this right and it's become a part of his process and he just intuited it but staying away from all of this over analytical over processing overthinking which is what we're doing right here in this podcast now (laughs) um, there's a little bit of irony there Mm -hmm. but um, but you know I think when he's in his creation mode staying away from that I think is really vital but What's interesting is that you, you know, and, and you can see this. So when he's working on a film, he's kind of moving away from this overanalytical, self-conscious place. But when he's, but then he's got another mode, and he actually spends quite a bit of time um, interpreting his own work, analyzing his own. You know, he says he doesn't, but look at all the interviews that he gives. Look at all the speaking engagements where he goes through his films in great detail and discusses it with people. You mm-hmm. know, he's do- like Herzog on herzog and uh where he you know there's just 500 pages of interviews i mean he you can find more of herzog talking about his films with other people and his philosophy of filmmaking than almost any other director i know yeah really um so oh, I, absolutely yeah so so maybe that kind of shows that you can kind of right there's a yin and a yang and you can you can have both you can d- get into discussions and kind of intellectually or conceptually analyze these things but then when you're creating let's flip the switch let's turn that off and let's get you know um, let's just let's, let's be in the moment i mean it's, and it's the same kind of philosophy of like even on a set a a director that's mis or not misguided, but a director that is kind of all over the place, thinking of the next six shots in the movie, and not just mm. thinking about the one that they're on right now, is oh, often yeah. is not often being gonna, present. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so it's interesting. I do think uh, a lot of uh, her, it seems like as he describes it, a lot of his process is kind of is designed to kind of keep that. Let's keep the stay in this present moment. Stay right now. And then when you remove all of this self-consciousness, that's actually when it's funny. It's, you know, like a lot of things, there's kind of a, the truth is kind of a paradox when you've stopped worrying about your authentic voice is when it arrives mm-hmm. and moves through you. So, all right. Well, I think that's probably a good note to end this on, unless you've got anything yeah. last, no, last thoughts great. to add. A- nope. Excellent. Well, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation here on uh, Herzog's Masterclass Lesson 3. I appreciate you hanging out with me, Cullen. Thank you so much for yeah. that. That was and great. And uh, we'll look forward to lesson four next week. So Mm -hmm. thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you on the flip side. Take care. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right.